there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girl's night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On the last episode of the Video Archives podcast, Quentin and Roger gave us an honest, in-depth analysis of Bob Fosse's Star 80. What's gobsmacking is the fucking balls of Fosse to tell the story, a true story of a murdered woman that only happened two years earlier from the killer's point of view. We talked about personal stories, the real history, and how some things just didn't sit right. But the conversation didn't stop there. Today on The After Show, we continue the discussion, bringing you more opinions and facts from Roger and Quentin. I'm your girl, Gala Avery. To start off our episode today, we have part two of my interview with Roger. Miss part one? Make sure to go back to After Show episode six so you don't miss a thing. Now, do you remember the first time that you met Quentin at Video Outtakes? Um, yes. I mean, I remember him coming in. And at that time, I, rem- I remember in particular him going, like, just talking about They All Laughed the Bogdanovich film with Dorothy, Dorothy Stratton. And I think mm-hmm. he and, and Lance, I think, were, would talk about it a lot. And I hadn't seen the film at that point. And so... Um, that movie's kind of hard to find, actually, nowadays. I tried to find that after our discussion on Dorothy Stratton and Star 80, uh, because that's kind of like the movie that they were making at that time. And it's really difficult to find. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Like, you'd think that in this day and age, everything is easy to get instantly. And yet it's not. What's that all about? Beats me. <laughs> Seems like it's almost harder. To get That's what eBay's things. for. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the old days, you just walk down to the video store and look at the shelves. So I kind of, I almost want to say superficially, uh, New Quentin, almost in a kind of um, 
uh, jealous way I knew Quentin it's to begin like, uh, with. He's, yeah. that, he's that he's the, the uh, Lance's other lover who's coming well, in no, and talking look, cinema that look, I. It's <laughs> like in Pokemon when all of a sudden you meet Gary Oak. Yeah. It's like. I don't even that... know what you're saying, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Oak's nephew and all of a sudden you're not the star child anymore. You've yeah. got to like battle it out. Well, there it is. Two titans together. So. Well, and then, you know, Quentin comes in and you, you talk with him for five minutes, one minute, and uh, you know right away, one, he knows what he's talking about. Two, he asserts it. And so if you're going to enter into a, a conversation with him about movies, you're going to have to back it up. You're going to have to back it up. And so I only knew him like kind of- uh, Tangentially. Yeah, I would say almost tangentially, like, um, and maybe even a little jealously. Because he was, uh, you know, coming in. But not really. He's just another customer. Um, I, I will say, and I, I don't want to say this, like, I don't want to say anything negative, And I don't even think of it as negative. But Quentin used to wear this leather jacket, this gnarly leather jacket. And I think he would just sweat into it. And oh it smelled, it smelled like leather, like, like patent leather, like this intense... And so he would come in, and I think that was probably because I was jealous. <laughs> My big old guy who smells or what, something like that. Anyhow, cut to we open up video archives. Yet actually, before you go into like yeah. hiring Quentin, uh-huh. because I know that's where the kind of the story is leading, what led to video outtakes becoming video archives? I think it was just a natural growing process. And um, I don't know the particulars of what was going on or or if anything was going on between um, the two partners, Dean and Lance. You just know that you were called upon by Lance. Suffice it to say, I was – how do I put? Uh, you know, it, it becomes so personal; it's almost almost not right to talk about. But the fact of the matter is, Scott's father was in a sort of a a little bit of a a little bit of a bitter divorce, and um, his whole family was kind of in turmoil. I had come from a divorced family. I sided with Scott and his mother, and. Um, uh, sided. I mean, I wasn't even in a place to side, but I was an employee there and it became very uncomfortable very quickly well, I think a in good, many ways. A good question also is, is that you've mentioned that when Lance opened up video archives, didn't Scott go with you? Yes. Well, Scott kind of also played the fence a little bit. So he went, like initially he went with us and then, uh, you know, he would go back and work at video. Yeah. I mean, he's, it's his dad. Yeah, like, of course. And so, you know, um, yeah, Scott eventually went back. And, yeah, so uh, Lance takes his half or his third or however many of the however tapes. many tapes he took. He took what was his. He took what was his, yeah. and he went and, and he they opened a, up. They, he did a some kind of a formal separation, and I think in the night, in one night, in like, one night, everything happened. You guys took the videotapes that were Lance's, and a, and a new store opened and a new up, store in, opened a, up. A, in a different city the next day in Hermosa Beach. Uh, in Manhattan Beach. In Manhattan Beach. It okay, a, it was located at eighteen twenty two North Sepulveda. And in I think Manhattan there's a Beach, California. pet food store there now or a, or a bagel bank shop. Or a bagel well, shop. actually, the store, the shop moved. And so it used to be at the corner location. Yeah. And then it moved to the inside location or maybe it was the other way around. No, it was the inside location. Well, it's, and in then that, the it's in that yeah. little shopping center regardless. Yeah. I think it's I think it, the last position that it was at was at the bagel shop. OK, now tell no, me, which is now a Noah's bagel. Is it? OK, 
Good to I think know. it's Noah's Bagels. Okay. Now tell me, so- Or maybe have- it's the Manhattan Beach Bagel Company, actually. Yeah, I better not, I better get that right. <laughs> fact check that, yeah. all the fact checkers. <laughs> ring, ring, ring. Um, okay, so you had known Quentin from video outtakes. Yeah. You guys open up video archives. How did he get hired? Um, Scott was like with us in those early days and um, and Lance, and there was an absolute need for new employees. And uh, I, I don't doubt- um, for a second that it was just Lance who immediately said, um, what about that guy? And he, Quentin came in and I can't even remember if it was an interview. I thought it was an interview because he came in, he went behind the counter, sat in the back office and talked and everything. And next thing I knew he was hired. And then there were two other partners. Lance had taken on two other partners. One of them was a silent partner who we wouldn't even know existed for years to mm-hmm. come. The other one was this guy, Rick, who was there all the time. Is is that silent partner, Dennis? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was the two brothers, Rick and Dennis Humbert. And Rick was sort of the, um, uh, he was kind of like a groovy, cool, um, uh, South Bay music guy and um, had lots of connections everywhere. And, um, and was actually really good for the store, brought in lots, you know, he was, he was a really good guy to work with. But I remember early on, he was like, Roger, get over here. And I came over. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, do you know this Quentin guy? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. He's like, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, uh, he's got this leather jacket. <laughs> I, 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 I think I brought that up. He said, well, look at this. And he showed me a check that Quentin had filled out. Like they had to buy tapes. You know, every now and then UPS would come or – Blackhawk video or like, you know, the, the video we'd have delivering the new tape. We would actually have to make a payment. And I guess he had made a payment and, and paid for it. He'd been told, okay, just fill out the check when they come. And he filled it out. And I don't know if you've ever seen Quentin's uh, penmanship, but uh, he's famous (laughs) for his penmanship. And it is, this was an early version of his penmanship, which was, um, more emotion than actual logic. <laughs> it's more art than science. <laughs> Let's just say that. And um, uh, he showed it to me and it was like, you know, there wasn't enough space to, to write out what he had written. So it kind of curved <laughs> down the, t- it was, it was actually really funny. It was great. And he was like all like freaking out about it. Like that this was this big deal. Okay. So anyhow, cut to Quentin ends up starting like to do shifts with me and we start working together. And my first instinct was, you know, I'll show you, but then you start working with them and um, like you learn like one, he he knows what he's talking about and he can back it up. (laughs) Respect. (laughs) You know, like it just is what it is. And pretty soon it was like, okay, this guy is special. This guy's different than normal human beings. Like he's got a superpower. Yeah, there are. This is a guy who was born like you know in a gamma radiation chamber. <laughs> <laughs> he has a superpower that no. That I actually have only met one other person who. Okay, I know who you're going to say yeah. before you say. I'm just going to say I don't think he rivals Quentin in that way. He because he aspires to rival because Quentin. <laughs> he told me he had seen every movie, and the moment that I brought up Brotherhood of Death, he hadn't seen it. Yeah, boy, he like tail went between his legs. Yeah, we're talking so, about Christoph Gans. Sorry, Christoph, the uh, French director of um, uh, Silent Hill and Brotherhood well, of the Wolf. I hope Christoph has seen has seen uh, Brotherhood of Death by now. Oh, I'm sure he went home and 
he was freaking out because that I don't think happens to him normally. Yeah. But, but you know, Christoph is the same way that he like, he loves media. He consumes it. It is his life. It is his, you know, it, it's the fabric of who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he can back up, you know, uh, his conversations with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours of, you know, investment in cinema. And also not only have seen the movie, but be able to make a whole discussion, opinion about it. Because there's one thing that there are people that just sit down and watch five movies a day every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have nothing to say about them and don't know how to read a film. Well, and that's that was the great thing about having a brick and mortar place for us to hang out in uh, the store to work in because we would pop on movies. And, and this is kind of how our relationship evolved is that we were working together and we would put on movies. And I was put I would put on the movies that I liked and he would put on the movies that he liked. And we have different tastes, but they're you know, like a Venn diagram. They they overlap at some area. They overlap. And um, and pretty soon it was like, I mean, I don't know how else to put it other than we were doing what we're basically doing now, which is watching movies and talking about them and laughing and having fun. And next thing I knew, it was like, okay, this he it does not have to be a rival just because he is invincible and powerful. <laughs> you guys can be allies. You can be allies. <laughs> so that, that, and, and anyhow, like, you know, and it wasn't even just Quentin. Like there were a bunch of guys that kind of gravitated into that store. Roland Wofford, Steve Opoli. I mean, they're um, unruly Julie. There were all sorts of people who, you know, um, a whole crew, like, it's yeah, a clan. Like, it's a clan. Yeah, like of like-minded people, all of all of whom had their, you know, special genre. Yeah, their genre superpower. Like Steve O was, you know, loved a certain kind of thing, like the Apple Dumpling Gang movies and shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> he could talk about those endlessly and knew every little detail about them. Man, I bet that the person that came in looking for the Apple Dumpling Gang was really happy when Steve-O was working. Yeah, Steve-O or, or Russell Vossler. I should have, I mean, he's another name who probably will come up again and again and again and again because Russell is one of the titans of that place. He, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's one of the great characters. He's one of the, best people to work with um, at that store. He um, He's a really gentle soul. You know, he's like, uh, he's a really good person. And um, and he's super talented. That's the other thing is he's an artist. Like a lot of the people that would come in, they were these super talented artists. And so he, they would be doing the painting of the, you know, the store art on the, like every holiday season. Yeah, I love that. I love those uh, photos that yeah, I have I've, some photos I've seen of, of those. Yeah, yeah. I'll send Josh's way at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so like, yeah, you'd get all these people to come together. And Russell also happened to know the Disney movies like really well. Like he, you know, was completely dialed into the children's film section. So whenever a mother would come in with her kids, you know, Russell would be a great one to uh, yeah. to advise them and guide them into watching. The Man, right I wish I had Russell you guys. Was, <laughs> Russell was the algorithm for the mothers that came in. <laughs> like, uh, I wish I had your team like helping me find movies because I mean, I guess that's what the podcast is: is you guys helping all of us out here find new movies that are difficult to find, or even old ones that you may have ones. seen that you forgot. Like one of the movies we probably won't talk about it because. We watched it kind of before we began this, but like, you know, Quentin and I watched Maria's Lovers, the Andrei Konchalovsky film. It's a, I mean, it's, I hadn't seen it since, you know, the movie had come out and 
uh, it's with Nastasia Kinski, who I was in love with when I was young. And it's, I mean, it's a really interesting kind of compelling, uh, dynamic little movie people might have seen it before and you know even me like i saw the movie before and in reassessing it it's like wow this is a really interesting little film i love hearing video archive stories from my dad believe me there are tons so stay tuned for the next part of the interview now let's return to our topic of the episode star 80 anyone who knows me will know that i am a patty chayefsky fan Seeing Altered States and reading the book changed my life. So if you're like me, you'll take delight in this next story from Quentin. What's interesting, especially with Fosse deciding to write this script himself and being so influenced by his buddy, uh, Patty Chayefsky, sure. who he would show him a few different drafts. And his idea- he's dedicated the movie to him. Yes, he dedicates the movie to him. And then there's also even the idea that- um, Fosse, Fosse did not make it a point to write his scripts. So he wanted to do the first draft on this, and then he wanted to bring in another writer to take it, make it better, but he showed it to Chayefsky and goes, no, you don't need anybody else. No, you, you finish this on your own. This is, this is you're, you're on the right track. Well, that's the uh, having Patty Chayefsky tell you you're on the right track would only throw gas onto that fire. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. One of my favorite parts of the episodes are when Quentin and Roger talk about the first time they watched the movie. Roger lets us know where he first saw Star 80 and who he saw it with. Uh, did you see it in Westwood? Yeah. yeah the yeah. Na- National. Yes, I did. Yeah. At, the, at the lovely National. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think I saw- All the, the Warner Brothers movies played And I think I saw it with Scott, yeah. actually. Uh-huh. I think we saw it together. That was a Warner Brothers theater. All the Warner yeah. Brothers big releases played at the National. And Scott was really big on this movie also. And- well, Scott, well, me and Scott shared uh, uh, a real- healthy uh, uh, appreciation of Eric Roberts in particular. We both really, really liked him. Yeah. I actually, I think I saw, not the first time, but I think there was another screening of the, one of my three screenings of the movie. One was with my old friend, Kevin, but the other one was with Scott, I yeah. think, because we we uh, we wanted to watch the Eric Roberts movie together. I think he saw it many, many times. Yeah, yeah. Um, Star 80. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. When I'm not watching movies, I love to sit down and watch trashy reality TV, Star Trek, and true crime. I had a little bit of prior knowledge about Paul Snyder and his connection with Chippendales from watching Curse the Chippendales on Discovery+. Plus. I brought this knowledge to the table when discussing Star 80. I'm glad you brought that up, Quentin, because one of the things I know about Dorothy Stratton is because my mom and I, we watch a lot of true crime together. Mm -hmm. And she and I, and I think actually, Roger, I think you watched this with us. We watched Curse the Chippendales on Mm -hmm. Discovery Plus, Uh which is a miniseries about Chippendales. I mean, Chippendales has its own true crime history with like two murders involved of the owner and one of the dancers, I think. Yeah, all those criminals involved in Chippendales were basically the ones probably holding him over the balcony. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but (laughs) they have a whole interesting thing. They all turned on each other. On Dorothy Stratton and Paul Snyder in the first few episodes of that Mm. because as we've touched on Paul Snyder basically introduced the idea of wet t-shirt contest and Chippendales Mm. 
to America. Well, to America <laughs> from Canada. Mm-hmm. And one of the big defining moments that they talk about Paul Snyder and Dorothy Stratton and what leads to her murder is that Playboy Playmate of the Year awards ceremony. Oh, uh-huh. They talk about how he went and how he thought that Dorothy should be thanking him <laughs> while she's giving her award. And also how when she takes the photograph, they actually push him off stage. Yeah, yeah. Like they escort him mm. to a different table and they say, no, no, you sit over here. Well, it's like usually you thank your manager. That's not unusual. But, they, but I was surprised. Expect. I was surprised in Star 80 how they did not dramatize that scene. Because I felt like that was actually a scene where it was kind of an important character moment for Paul Snyder and they kind of just left it out. Yeah, and it would have served Fosse's agenda. I think uh, I think it's possible that he never saw that footage. I mean, that is definitely possible since yeah, I'm, because I, they didn't put that together until like as oh, t- almost 10 years after Dorothy's life. Yeah, so, of course. So I don't so so he they might have not turned over all that yeah, footage. Yeah, he might have not known that. And of course, the movie doesn't represent everything in their real life because it's a movie. Mm-hmm. Movies can't be real life or else it would be a documentary. No, but actually, but I'm glad you brought that up because that observation about her during that footage is, uh, it's almost paramount to my opinion. Yeah. About how they portrayed Dorothy. Yeah, because we have all of this information now that mm-hmm. maybe they didn't know back then yeah. and people wouldn't have known. That that brings me to my next point though. I don't know what's real in this movie and what's fake in this movie. I don't know exactly everything about Paul Snyder they say in this movie. I don't know if it's real. I know he made exercise machines. I don't know if he made sex machines i know he did what teacher contest but i don't know if he did this and Mm -hmm. i know he was with dorothy stratton i don't know if he was cheating on dorothy stratton i don't know you know actually you know uh, most of the biographical stuff as far as from everything i know about the story and i kind of probably know a little bit more than most yeah uh seems all fairly all fairly true yeah you know and if you know and is it a wet t-shirt contest is it a jello wrestling contest who fucking cares all right you know but but it's 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 all it's all the same believe yeah and (laughs) that's why it's so good because honestly after i had watched the chippendales documentary and then i watched this movie and i was kind of interested in learning more about it and it's very vague online what Mm -hmm. you can find out about the true story Eric Roberts' portrayal of Paul Snyder may take center stage, but we here at Video Archive spent a lot of time analyzing how Fosse portrayed Dorothy Stratton. Roger had some issues with the film, specifically the characterization of Stratton. I'm going to say that, yes, the Dorothy Stratton character is a caricature, but maybe that was to protect her in some ways from the story that he's telling. Mm -hmm. Because if he had made her as savvy as she really was, as we know she, she must have been mm-hmm. from those interviews and the way that she's responding, if it was that person, she might have been a little bit more culpable even. Mm-hmm. As it is, she is such a leaf in the wind. And he is portrayed as uh, right and sympathetic up until the point where he buys the shotgun. Everything he's doing is somewhat justified because I do not believe in uh, violence of any kind. When the movie is lying, it's when it's aping reality. Mm-hmm. It's when they're doing interviews of her. It's when they're they're imitating photos of her and photo shoots of her. Like, to me, that's when the movie lies. It attempts to f- trick us into believing that these people that we're seeing are real. Well, the, the, this this mime that we're watching, mm-hmm. oh, this is reality. And And frankly, I think you're probably right. When they say partly real, that's the part that is real. And to me, that's the most false mm-hmm. presentation. There are many real-life people depicted in Star 80. You have the obvious Dorothy Stratton, Paul Snyder, and Hugh Hefner. However, there's one real-life person who is not depicted by name. Film geeks like us know that the director character, played by Roger Rees, is representative of Peter Bogdanovich. 
Quentin clues us in on why Bogdanovich is not named in this film. I think it's it's interesting to contemplate the idea that if you were to tell the Dorothy Stratton story, what would that be? To remove the shark from the hook just a little bit when it comes to Fosse, he was not allowed to tell the story the way it needed to be. Not that he had any interest in doing this. He did not. But if he had an interest in telling the story uh, from Dorothy Stratton's perspective, he wouldn't have been able to because... He can't deal forthrightly with Hefner, and he can't deal forthrightly with Peter Bogdanovich. Now, the thing about it is he needs Hefner's consent to do things that he needs to do. He wants to be able to call him Hugh Hefner. He wants to be able to have a bit of an impersonation the of Playboy it. Mansion, and he wants all, it. That, yeah, all of the They didn't shoot it at the Playboy Mansion. But, they but it bu- looks enough like what the Playboy exactly Mansion, like in the, my mind, would look like. It looks exactly like the Playboy yeah. Mansion. And Hefner did allow his production designer to come in and take photos and to you know, copy the Playboy Mansion. Um, but he also wants to be able to use Playboy. I mean, in fact, if he can't use the name Playboy and he can't use the logo of Playboy- he doesn't he want to make the movie. And he can't use the, the, the bunny costumes and everything, then he doesn't want to even, then he's not interested in doing the movie at all. I, which I completely agree with. Yes. However, if he had gone another route and if he had did uh, 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 Phantoms, which it, well, a lot of movies do that, all right? So if it was not, we all know play, it's play mag. Well, stag magazine. <laughs> yes. All right. It's stag magazine. And the guy's name is Lou Hopper. Yes. All right. Uh, uh, you know, he would be able to do what he wants to do, but he wants to be able to name names, but he's not, you know, he's not allowed to. Padanovich at that time is not going to let him uh, use his likeness. Hefner is going to want some control over their use of uh, Hefner's likeness and the playboy ideal. So there is an aspect that the Dorothy Stratton story was just too fresh. Now, now you can use Peter Bogdanovich if you were telling the story. Now yeah. you could use Hugh Hefner and Playboy magazine imagery if you wanted, because now you could actually kind of tell the story. But if you did tell the story of Dorothy Stratton, her story is damn close to almost a Henry James novel of this beautiful young girl, pretty much like a country lass, and how she's taken to the big city. And finds herself with three different mentor men who fold her under their wing. It's easy to say, oh, the, and Meryl Hemingway has even said it in interviews. Well, these men, these men came and, and molded her. Okay, well, wait a minute now. In the case of Peter Bogdanovich and Dorothy Stratton, they were in love with each other. And to tell the story from Dorothy Stratton's perspective and not have it be Peter Bogdanovich, who Peter Bogdanovich is, is to make it a farce. As Quentin just said, Dorothy Stratton and Peter Bogdanovich were in love. Quentin goes a little further and talks about the knowledge that a director can impart on a small town girl, specifically teaching her the difference between movies and films. I'm sure Dorothy Stratton likes movies as much as any young girl and any other playboy playmate well in any young girl in vancouver likes movies i doubt she's a cinephile she probably went and saw a couple of films and probably has a couple of uh actors or actresses that she likes but now with peter bogdanovich i see him like he would do with all of his girlfriends giving their her a complete introduction to classic cinema and teaching her the difference between mitchell leeson and uh lubich and i see them 
you know, like Mariel Hemingway was doing with Woody Allen in, in Manhattan, laying in bed, watching W.C. Fields or laying in bed and, mm-hmm. and, and watching Marlena Dietrich and laying and Bogdanovich telling her the whole history and how he knew this director and that director and her being completely charmed and, well, and, and whisked away. You can't tell the story without having that part of the love story. Exactly. And I mean, I think he tries to touch on it briefly because Eric Roberts even has a line in it where he says, she called him films. That's one of the best lines in the whole goddamn she's, yeah, movie. She's never called films. <laughs> no, no, no. She'll call them movies no. or... That, that's what he knows. <laughs> that makes... That's, that's actually been one of the lines that has stayed in my head since I saw it 30 yeah. years ago or yeah. 40 years ago or whatever, however many fucking years ago it was. 83. All right. Uh, uh, that's always just stayed in my mind. And like, oh, no, he's right. No, that's but smart. he's always right. Throughout the entire movie, he may not be justifiable in mm-hmm. what he does, mm-hmm. but he is always correct mm-hmm. throughout the film. His assessments are correct. That he's being fucked over is correct. Well, do, his well, suggestions to her are well, correct. He pre- he pre- his advices in management is correct. Everything is correct. He he's pre- true to what he he's true to himself. And he presents Dorothy as a Fosse presents Dorothy as a dummy. He does not present Snyder as a dummy. No, he does right. not. He presents him as a sleazeball who gets in his own way, and he presents him as a loser, but he does not present him as a dummy. No, he may be a cr- and a yeah. weirdo, but he's, but he's not, not a dummy. He's not stupid. He's not stupid. Don't get me wrong. I think that Eric Roberts is amazing in his role as Paul Snyder, so I personally wouldn't want this movie any other way. But why did Fosse focus on Paul Snyder instead of Dorothy Stratton? We sat down and tried to answer this question. In Fosse's in one of his interviews, he was saying, oh, I've known... Part of the reason I wanted to tell the story is I've known guys like like Snyder my whole life. I've known these small time con artists. I've, yeah. I've, 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 I've known these hustlers. I've, I've known, stomped them out. These <laughs> these hustlers. No, he knows them. I, I grew up around them. I yeah. knew. I know the. I, I can tell the story because I know these hustlers. My indictment this. of Fosse has nothing to do with the reality of this fact versus that fact. Mm-hmm. It has to do with his complete lack of curiosity when it comes to Stratton. Well, I think also that we touched on this. There was more probably on Fosse at this time than there was on Stratton. Mm -hmm. Like with the archival footage that's been like that we now have Mm -hmm. and the information that we now have about Dorothy Stratton. I don't know if you could make a movie about Dorothy Stratton that was faithful to Dorothy Stratton right at when he did. Well, I I made that case already because I I said, you literally need... Hefner and Bogdanovich not to have power on the situation to actually make them genuine characters in the story. But also not only that, at the time this is made, you also don't want to make any kind of negative statement about Dorothy Stratton, who has just been murdered. If you're going to say anything about anyone and maybe fabricate things, you're going to want to fabricate them about the killer. Yeah, well, Mm -hmm. also also it's just a simple dramatic fact that Mm -hmm. the character of Paul Snyder, of the penetrator aggressor, Mm -hmm. is the villain, the foil... And that and that arc is more interesting. Well, in, in a, well, in a movie full of phantoms, all right, yeah. and barely drawn facsimiles of people, they're the only two characters possible. And naturally, the dramatic weight well, shifts towards Snyder. Of yeah. course, killers killers are always it's more, the larger character. Yeah, and killers are always more interesting mm-hmm. than their but victim. Again, see, in a story of Dorothy Stratton, you can't have a cipher character of just a random director stand in for Peter Bogdanovich. But in the Paul Snyder story, it doesn't fucking matter who plays that director. Yeah. So you don't think- Because it's just, it's, just, it's just about her uh, uh, leaving his fold to a successful person. It, the, the, whether it's Peter Bogdanovich or not makes no difference in the Paul Snyder story. In the Dorothy Stratton story, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference, difference. It it makes makes all the difference in the world. Difference. So you don't buy that Fosse is in, in any way protecting Dorothy Stratton by turning her into this- 
simple innocent. No, he's he's he's. I think he's reducing her. Okay, you know, and and especially with the evidence available. I mean, obviously, Fosse saw they all laughed. Does he have? Any opinion of if she would be a good actress? If he does, I had never heard it. I get no sense that he saw that there was an, a, anything of any kind of potential as an actress. When I watched They All Laughed, I do. I did. Does Fosse? I, I think I, I most people know. did. I would assume no. Yeah. I would I would assume not. I would assume he thinks of her as a, a centerfold and nothing more. As vacant. Yes. To be honest, because that's kind of what she is portrayed I just, as. I think he is. I think he associates her. I think he thinks of her as a very pretty disposable celebrity. She's clay. Yes. Yeah, she's clay. She's clay for any she's man a, to mold into what they want. She's a, she's a disposable celebrity with an expiration date. Which I yeah. don't think is what Dorothy Stratton and was I, in real life. Not only do I not think that that was what she was in real life, especially by, and as Sheila Benson described, especially by the evidence given in They All Laughed, where she's not treated as a sex object. She's treated as a love object. And in a cast full of vivacious women, she stands out amongst mm. these wonderful cast of vivacious women. So I'm going right now to an issue of one of my favorite film magazines of the 80s, even though I think it only lasted about five issues. All right. It was a magazine called The Movies. And this is from the November 1983 issue that has uh, Mara Hemingway from Star 80 on the cover. And the uh, feminist critic Judith Rossner, she makes a statement. I'm going to ask it as a question. Bob Fosse made a better movie than he would have made if he hadn't allowed himself to identify with Paul Snyder. So I'm asking, did Bob Fosse make a better movie out of Star 80 by allowing himself to identify with Paul Snyder? And I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes, because what may be a disservice in real life to um, Dorothy, Stratton. Dorothy Stratton is a great service to his movie. And he attached himself to what he understood in the subtext he wanted to inject into the film and almost turned Dorothy Stratton, even though she's one of the only three people who's real by name, mm -hmm. into, like you say, a cardboard character that's no more real than any of the than other the, fans. The mother, for than example. Than the centerfold. All right. Uh, now, she continues after she makes that statement. I suspect it would have been even more interesting if he had allowed himself to know what it was like to be Dorothy Stratton. And the fact that mm. he didn't even try, he didn't even entertain that idea is what I think is remarkable. Now, she also goes on to write, if Roberts gives the only extraordinary performance in the film, it is doubtlessly because his talent is greater than Hemingway's. But it is also important to remember that however slick and repellent Snyder is, he is granted the luxury of being a complex human being, while Mariel's role is of a sweet young thing with tits. Right. And maybe the point of the movie is that it's not a biopic. Well, it is, it, but it's a biopic of Paul Snyder. Well, it's half a biopic of Paul Snyder by its own admission. It's no, I half just think, of, it's half of everything. In fact, no, Sven Nickvist is even sometimes only lighting half of a face. Yeah. As if, well, who knows if it's true or not? He only deserves half my light. And that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Video Archives After Show. Have a burning question that you want the answers to? Make sure to write in for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming episode. Next week, join Quentin and Roger as they discuss three new films. Want to know ahead of time what we're watching? Here's a riddle for all of you loyal fans out there. Try and figure it out. The first movie features an actress from Star 80. 
The second film features my favorite Bond henchman. And the third is a film that was mentioned on a previous after show and features a female character named Jeff. Thanks for spending the last 30 minutes with me. I'm your girl, Gala Avery, signing out for today. See you next time on the Video Archives After Show. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 